0: Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com getcertified get certified.
1: it's ragu i'm back with ramdas here and now next episode coming i just want to mention a couple of things before we get into this uh, introduction to this talk from ramdas i want to highlight a couple of things from 1440 multiversity in santa cruz as you well know these are our wonderful uh, partners and uh i just uh i looked up and saw a couple of things that i thought you might be interested in you know they have these wonderful workshops weekend workshops and um let's see the first one is about transforming codependency so i believe uh, many 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 of us have that going on in one way or another in our lives not doesn't have to be only through relationships, although that's a biggie. It can be through any kind of other addiction outside, uh, looking outside of ourselves. So uh, a woman by the name of Nikki Myers, Nikki, is going to be there June 28th through 30th, so the end of this month. Check it out. Go to 1440.org and you'll find out all of the registration information, etc., and uh what's the the other one i saw is a woman named tisha morris uh it's clutter in intervention can you imagine clutter intervention i need a clutter intervention big time i'm not even gonna show you the extent of which i need that but she's got so i thought wow i bet there's a bunch more people like me out there that could use some help and that's uh uh july uh mid july july 12th through 14th go uh, visit 1440.org and check it out clutter intervention and i'm sure that has to include the clutter in the mind right um one other thing to mention is the the third edition of the east forest ramdas collaboration music and words collaboration, these fantastic songs that uh, uh, Trevor Oswald, who is East Forest, has released. And, and we've been releasing them every quarter, uh, you know, a number of songs and until uh, in August will be the full length LP. So uh, this next edition is coming up June 21, I believe. And uh, sign up to Ramdas.org, by the way and you'll get all the information, uh, not just of that. We have a fantastic online course coming up this summer that you'll love another in the life and balance series, but, um, yeah, check out East forest and Ramdas coming up with some new songs. So those of you who've checked it out before know what I'm talking about. There's some great, great material here. And those of you who haven't checked it out, here's your opportunity. Okay. Uh, and, uh, I just want to do a shout out for mind rolling my other podcast. Uh, I just did something with a man named Tim Desmond that, uh, I think many of you would really appreciate. He's a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, that great, um, master of mindfulness, uh, from Vietnam who lives, who is back in Vietnam right now, uh, had a stroke a few years ago and uh is um is it just an incredible example of uh complete equanimity and love, not Han so Tim really embodies uh, much of his teachers um, substantiality right all right Ram Das this is from um june eighty three like what Thirty-six years ago, unbelievable from Rhinebeck. Probably what Rhinebeck is uh, Omega. So Ramdas starts this thing out. You know, I don't remember this. It's another one of those things that this catalog of Ramdas is so rich and so far-reaching that uh, you know this happens to someone like me who has been around this stuff for so long. It's amazing. Anyhow, it's about, um, uh, this. So he, I think it's a note from somebody who was a diver and was doing some deep sea diving and had some real issues around, uh, uh, how much oxygen they had left and how far down they were. And he was in real trouble. And I won't tell you the story except to say, uh, that he uh, had an encounter with a dolphin that basically saved his life. And, and as Ram Dass talks about it, the he talks about the presence of this animal, and, and he called it the presence of untrammeled loving compassion. Untrammeled. Have you ever heard that word before around loving compassion? Innocent loving compassion. Untrammeled. I loved it. Uh, just absolutely pristine, no self interest whatsoever uh and he talks about how we're all on a journey to that place of innocence, not naivete but innocence so fantastic story uh that that Ram Dass tells, and apparently at one point that uh, you know the dolphin actually i mean actually gave this man some sort of darshan through its eyes actually turned you know all, dolphins have eye on one side on each side of their uh, face and the eye of the dolphin um so there's Nirmandas, uh talks about spacious awareness and naked presence all coming out of the presence of of this experience that this man had with this dolphin and how do we get there and he's done this before and it's uh something that you can hear way more than once and that's around spacious awareness and the fact that our attachment to thoughts is like watching a cloud and we watch it go all the way across the horizon we sit there entrapped by the cloud so how do we extricate ourselves from that cloud until we become more of the spacious blue sky from which we witness these clouds going by without grabbing onto them uh, the heart engages and the mind stays spacious that's a cool thing huh? um and so uh, Something else he talks about the recognition of our evolving identity. I, I also like that. That's something great for us to think about. Um, just so, just think of it like this: we're all operating from our operating system, which is our ego mind, right? And we're we we. we recognize the ego structure, but gradually, gradually, but inevitably, as my friend Krishna Das will say, we start to shift into the heart mind in the center of the chest, what Ram Das calls the place from which we are loving awareness. So it's not a matter of you make that switch, and suddenly that's every day, every moment you're seeing your life from this very spacious and heartful perspective which means you're not judging yourself you don't have all that negative chatter you don't have fear that's not necessary i mean some people it may happen in a poof but for most of us we go back and forth and i think that's what he means by this evolving identity we recognize how we shift back and forth And we start to allow ourselves when we go to the back, which is to the attachment and ego mind, all of that. We don't get angry. We acknowledge that we're human and it's okay. It's okay. And in that becoming okay in that moment, we can just shift our perspective back to that heart place, which is loving, which is compassionate, which is wise, which is joyful. So it's a matter of recognizing that this, it's a lifetime of work. And eventually enough spaciousness happens so that you're spending just maybe a touch more time in the heart-mind cave, just a touch and everything starts to become a little more facile. A little, Your life becomes a little bit um, calmer, a little bit more full of equanimity. So uh, what do you say? We are part of a collective consciousness of this very precious earth. That is our mother organism. That's just a beautiful little quote, huh? What else? Um, uh, and, and then uh connected to what we were just talking about in terms of evolving identity, once you have started to just allow awareness to move in and out of planes of reality, then you begin to notice how and where you get stuck. This is uh quite important. He also says, remember, it isn't how you th- it isn't it isn't how you think. It is only it, in other words, I got this quote completely screwed up, but what he was trying to say, or what he was saying, and I'm trying to say is, uh, how you think isn't reality, or at least it isn't the only reality, okay? It's not black and white. So uh, recognizing our evolving identity is is invaluable invaluable okay so here it is this is again talk from 83 june 83 from ramdas at omega and uh we will see you next time on ramdas here and now namaste
0: I'll give you a little foreshadowing of where we're going. I was in about 40 feet of water alone. I knew I should not have gone alone, but I was very competent and just took a chance. There was not much current, and the water was so warm and clear and enticing. But when I got a cramp, I realized at once how foolish I was. I was not very alarmed, but was completely doubled up with stomach cramp. I tried to remove my weight belt, but I was so doubled up, I could not get to the catch. I was sinking and began to feel more frightened, unable to move. I could see my watch and knew that there was only a little more time on the tank before I would be finished. With breathing, I tried to massage my abdomen I wasn't wearing a wetsuit but couldn't straighten out and couldn't get to the cramped muscles with my hands. I thought, I can't go on like this, I have things to do. I just couldn't die anonymously this way, with no one to even know what happened to me. I called out in my mind, somebody, something, help me. I thought of just some vague power coming to aid me, as much as some person. I felt that if there is a thing such as ESP, I must try it. So I said, somebody, something help me. I was not prepared for what happened. I had about 10 more minutes of oxygen and was still sinking. Suddenly I felt a prodding from behind me under the armpit. I thought, oh no, sharks. I felt real terror and despair but my arm was being lifted forcibly. Around into my field of vision came an eye, the most marvelous eye I could ever imagine. I swear it was smiling. It was the eye of a big dolphin. Looking into that... Looking into that eye, I knew I was safe. It moved further farther forward, nudging under and hooked its dorsal fin under my armpit with my arm over its back. I relaxed, hugging it, flooded with relief. I felt that the animal was conveying security to me, that it was healing me as well as lifting me towards the surface. My stomach cramp went away as we ascended, and I relaxed with security, but I felt very strongly that it healed me too. At the surface, it drew me all the way into shore. It took me into water so shallow I began to be concerned for it that it would be beached, and I pushed it back a little deeper where it waited, watching me, I guess, to see if I was all right. It felt like another lifetime. When I took off the weight belt and oxygen, I just took everything off and went naked back into the ocean to the dolphin. I felt so light and free and alive and just wanted to play in the sun and the water and all that freedom. The dolphin took me out and played around in the water with me. There were a whole lot of other dolphins there farther out. It looked like a hundred of them. Seemed as if they were waiting for this big one. And there were just two others nearby watching us play, but not joining us. I felt they were playing with us in spirit. My dolphin took me for a ride on its back with me sitting up like riding a horse, holding on to its dorsal fin. It went so fast that the water rose up to my chin, but never higher, as if it knew just how far it could go and not drown me. After a while, it brought me back to shore. I was tired, almost collapsing, and he made sure I was safe in the shallowest water. Then the dolphin turned sideways with one eye looking into mine. We stayed that way for what seemed like a very long time, timeless I guess, in a trance almost, with personal thoughts of the past going through my mind. Then he made just one sound and went out to join the others, and all of them left. Feel the quality of that unself conscious act of helping. And the quality of the smiling eye, even as you are lifting a drowning man out of the ocean depths, relaxation flooded through that man. The man was in the presence of untrammeled loving compassion, innocent loving compassion. Can you appreciate that you and I are on a journey into innocence? Not naivete, but innocence. The journey we're taking goes through bringing all this into self-consciousness in order to re-perceive in order to release, in order to let go of it all and go back into innocence. Yesterday I was very pleased to report to you that I heard from the discussion groups that when asked what did Ramdas say in the morning nobody could remember and I thought that was a good sign. But yesterday I was told that people said Ramdas said in the discussion groups. So I'm concerned. <laughs> Yesterday, we talked about suffering, the nature of suffering and the cause of suffering. And we began to consider how to escape from suffering. And one of the ways we were talking about was in acknowledging the many levels of consciousness as relatively real so that one notices that suffering exists on certain levels, but not on others. Like if I look at any one of you individually over time, like if I look at you at the dining room table when you're in a conversation, or I look at you when you're alone walking, I look at you at different moments. Some moments I can see great sadness in your face. Some moments I can see fascination Some moments I can see inner looking, some moments I can see sort of waiting for the next thing to happen. And if I am to, if I ask you or myself, moment to moment, what are you feeling? Or what are you, what state are you in? You will see how ephemeral these states are. The sun is out certain thing happens. The sun goes behind a cloud, a certain thing happens. You can feel these moods just washing across your consciousness, sort of like clouds going across the sky. But when a cloud comes on the horizon, a cloud of depression or a, clouds of, a cloud of anger or a cloud of something, often that feeling fits so in with the model we have of ourselves that we lock in on that cloud and we Focus on it all the way across the sky. It's like, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. And we almost watch it like with a sunset, to look up, to see it go down. We don't let go lightly. And our attachment to our thoughts, which is part of our, the laws of our evolving, um, evolving, you could say personality on one level, but it's really soul stuff or psychic DNA, is another way of saying it. The kind of just unfolding lawfully of that means at one moment in time, you will cling to that particular cloud of thought, and at another time, later on, when you're ready, you'll be able to let it go. And as you let go of that cloud, maybe you'll grab at another one. But when you finally sense the way of your own mind, you start to do a figure-ground reversal. What you've been focusing on is the clouds, and now you start to focus on the sky and see the clouds, just like changing your focal length. So you see the sky and the clouds are coming and going. And the sky you can call spacious awareness would be one name for it. And the sky really doesn't have much form to it. And it's that part of us, as I said yesterday, that has no form. And the rest of it is just coming and going. And it's interesting to walk into a room where somebody is suffering and see not as they are seeing, But see their predicament. See the way in which the suffering is the result of the attachment of mind. And at that moment, be with them in a way like the eye of the dolphin. Just naked presence. Just spacious awareness. How do you get to tune more fully to that spacious awareness in yourself? The part that is not form, the part in which there are, you are not involved in the multiplicity of things, of the this is and that. You can't stop the this isn't that. But you can extricate yourself from following the clouds of mood, of thought, of whatever. And there are different ways, like, for example, there's dhyana yoga, meditation. And within meditation there are many ways. For example, there's concentration. You can focus on one thing, like you could focus on my finger. And keep your awareness on my finger, you see. No, keep your awareness, bring it back to my finger. Every time your thoughts take you anywhere else, like, what's he doing? Or this won't work. Or I can't see his finger. Or whatever. Let, notice those thoughts, allow them, bring your awareness back to my finger. And try doing a concentration exercise like that for, say, a couple of weeks say, ten hours a day. (laughs) They do it all the time. I mean, it depends on whether you really want to take seriously the end of suffering or not. If you just want to screw around, you wouldn't do things like this. But if you really saw that your mind was at the root, not only of your suffering, but of the suffering of everybody you're meeting, if you really are in to go for the eye of the dolphin, You're going to have to surrender into it. You're going to have to surrender into your higher self. That's all there is to it. You're just going to have to get on with it. You know, you can muddle around with personality as long as you want. It's certainly there to be enjoyed. Delighted in depressions and anguish and hope and fear and loss of intimacy and loneliness and self-pity and anger and. Tenderness and all of that, It's, it's incredibly beautiful, isn't it? It's like the delicate smell of orchids, the scent of orchids. But if it entraps you, there is suffering. The good ones will pass, the bad ones are there. So you could concentrate your mind Or you could use Gyan yoga, the use, the technique of the mind beating the mind. The mind turning in on itself. You could do that with a Zen koan, like I was describing with the Suzuki Roshi. How you know your Buddha nature through sound of cricket. In any answer you will give that will come from your rational mind, he's going to hit you with a stick. And he's going to keep asking you and making you answer until finally you give up. You give up because you've pitted the mind against itself. The game is to escape from the linear analytic mind. Not that it is an exquisite tool, a power tool. It's the most powerful tool that the individual separate entity has. His own mind. That's how we're going to the moon. And putting space challenger up. It's extrapolate, it's extensions of the mind. But as Vivekananda and many others have said, it's a beautiful servant but a lousy master. And if you are in your thinking mind, you don't you see, since the thinking mind thinks about things, you are always one thought away from where the action is. So you always feel cut off. You always feel lonely. You always feel separate. It's the separateness of falling out of the Garden of Eden into your intellect, into your power, into your ability to control as a separate entity to create heaven for yourself. You can use the method, if you've got a tough enough mind, of vichara atma, who am I? The method Ramana Maharshi, used. Who am I? Well, I'm not these fingers. I mean, this finger has gone numb at times and it's I'm, I'm still around, not the finger. You know, one by one, you can take your extremities, you can take your organs of motor, of reproduction, of movement, of your internal organs, and you can just slowly, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, just by experiencing your awareness independent of that and experiencing that as object. So in the who am I method, you say I'm not that, I'm not that, it's called the method of niti niti, not that, not that. You push away that, you push away that, push away that, I'm not the emotions, I'm not this thought, is the last one. What aren't you? I'm not this thought. I am not this thought that I am not this thought. See how you go? You finally turn it in and there's nowhere to go. And if you have neti-neti, really, with strong discipline, at that moment you go through, through the looking glass. You can do the same thing the other way, tatuam I am this, I am this, I am this, I am that, and start to encompass everything into yourself. And you'll come into spacious consciousness, blue sky. Either way, you go, you come to the same place. These are methods I'm talking about. Very old, traditional methods of escaping from suffering for the benefit of you and all other sentient beings so that you become help, you don't just help. It's no longer a verb, it's a noun. You are help. I'm a help. You a help? Sure, I'm a help. Are you? Now, just go back to the dolphin's eye for a moment. And wonder whether or not the dolphin has to have in dolphin mind a model of man drowning at blah, blah, blah. And I am a dolphin, and I'm going to save this man. I'm going to species to save this man. I'm going to blow my cover in order to protect him. I mean, see, it's so easy. We anthropomorphize. It's so easy to project. We would think about some of these things. But last year I was walking down the path. Uh, we were talking. Uh, we had a session here on social action and helping. I was walking down the path, and a fellow said to me, "Look, Ramdas, I don't want to help anybody. I don't see that quality in me. I don't give a damn about anybody, and I don't want to help anybody. This is all nonsense." And I saw the the strength of his model of who he thought he was. Like a really, it's like cinder blocks. This is who I am. I don't help anybody. This is who I am. So I was walking next to him, and I figured and I just designed it so that suddenly I tripped. I mean, I really tripped. And he lunged to hold me up. I turned to him, I said, I just busted you. Now, I realized that had to be a real trip. It couldn't be a phony trip because his paranoia would know a phony trip a mile away. I had a really trip. Just like the man had to really be calling for the dolphin to respond. Like I notice when people come up to me and talk to me, like when I'm on the road all the time, somebody will come up and most people come up and they have thought, what will I say to Ram Das and should I put it this way or that way? And they've got all that going. And we, most of us do most of the time. And then somebody will come up to me and they will speak to me out of a pure innocence. And up until then, I could say to some people, well, I can't talk to you now, or I give them a little sort of answer or something, or, you know, some light thing. But that person that comes up that way, releases something in me and they got me. When somebody needs help in a pure way, like somebody comes up and says, you know, I am really in a deep depression. I haven't been able to get out of it. And I can feel the reality of it, not the models that they're playing with. I'm right there. They've got me, they, my heart engaged. Now, that doesn't mean that I got lost in the thought, however. That's what we're playing with this week. How the heart engages and the mind stays patient. The dolphin doesn't have a scenario necessarily of what it's doing. Dolphin saving man. And that fellow that held me up didn't have a scenario, he just did it. It's interesting, we spend so much time defining the scenarios in which we live in. Which scenario are we in now? Is this, are we approaching the mega crisis? Ecologically, it looks that way. Population-wise, it looks that way the extrapolations of the human intellect to the point where it can blow itself up in order to play with its own power. Out of its own paranoia and fear, it looks like we can do it. Looks like we have a real mega crisis. Looks like Armageddon, all those predictions are gonna come through. And here we are to witness it all, at least up to a certain point. Ready? Sighting scenario. How about the scenario, the scenario that if you look at the story of evolution, you see us going, you see gases coalescing, you see temperatures cooling, you see atoms being formed, you see molecules being formed, then you see shifts in the environment in which the basic gas of the environment starts to shift. So there starts to be a support for oxygen which allows certain organs, certain kinds of organisms to start to develop. And you watch each moment a certain period of slow growth and then there is a critical moment of change. And then you go all the way up through the vegetable, animal, human kingdom to the rational mind, the front and the right and left lobes of the prefrontal cortex. And you come to this reasoning, analytic power and the power of the individual. And you see that, stand back a moment, and now see that the earth, Gaia, is the organism that is what is evolving and that each of us are cells of its its prefrontal lobe, and we are just awakening through networking, through getting out of ourselves into a recognition of our evolving identity, that we are part of a collective consciousness of this very precious earth that is our mother organism scenario. Good one, isn't it? Can you feel it? called the new age, the Aquarian age, the awakening of consciousness. Didn't you notice something's happening around? I noticed that when I go and speak every other night, my audiences used to all look the same. They all were very young and they were all very shiny. And now my audiences look like they're getting more and more to look, not yet fully because of minority groups who have other business at the moment, but they're getting to look like a a cross-section of the society. And I say these same things and they say, yes. And they didn't take drugs and they didn't go to India. How do they know? Scenarios. Scenario, scenario, scenario. The news every night gives you, comes out of a certain scenario about what is reality. You can buy into it or not. When Walter Cronkite said, That's the way it is tonight, all it turns out to be is the way Walter Cronkite saw it tonight. And a free consciousness doesn't buy Walter Cronkite's perception any more than he buys any other perception. It's just another one, it's not the one. He's a scenario. But how scary to consider living without scenarios. Don't you need a scenario to do good? The thought of living without a scenario, it's like uh, the caterpillar looking up at the butterfly and saying, tell you, you'll never get me up in one of those things. Because you want to hold on to your scenario just a little longer, because it's so secure. It's the familiarity of knowing who you are. At least this is real. As it crumbles, <laughs> the lectern <laughs> falls over. This is solid, (laughs) you know. Once you have started to just allow awareness to move in and out of planes of reality, then you begin to notice when you got stuck somewhere. Because you feel a kind of a thickening and a kind of a heaviness and a kind of solidity. And you say, as Thaddeus Gullis in Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment said, what am I doing in a place where this is real? For example, I talked to you yesterday about us being souls that have taken birth. Now, that's a method for me. Because I can sit like I can get um, nervous before giving a lecture. I mean, I am a boy from Newton who made good with a lot of anxiety and dermatitis and stuff like that. Where do you think all those neuroses went? They didn't, you know go into the Akash. they're still here. It's just that I don't take them as seriously as I used to. But I get into them. Like, I thought Monday's lecture and Tuesday's lecture was very good. I like those. What's going to happen with Wednesday's lecture? Jesus, that's going to I'm going to blow it. I can see it. You, it. It makes you uncomfortable that I've got that ego, that I've got a real personality. Now, sometimes that can become crippling for you and for me, I'm sure. If I feel that I am an unworthy human being that's just putting on a good front, and that can prove he's adequate through giving a brilliant lecture. That feeling of inadequacy in me is going to be looking through this hall to see who's seeing through me. And somebody who has gas, who's sitting there like this, (laughs) I I will immediately interpret of, ah, the jig's up. (laughs) I will use all the information, as we all do, to confirm our models. But I have a method, you see, one of the methods I would use at that moment, because I would feel the thickness of that, not to deny it, not to make believe I'm not. I've done that for years. I'm really strong and confident. see. And that's a kind of a little brittle level out there. And we all know what that one's like. Don't get too close. Don't touch it, you know, because it might crumble. I watched somebody give a brilliant lecture the other night. Brilliant. I mean, just wonderful. Self-assured, confident, and then the questions started coming. And I saw that stance of fear. It's a strength that isn't in you. It's something that you are creating with mind. Because you don't trust your own strength. Like Gandhi says, seek that power which is in everyone and over no one. But if you don't recognize that power in yourself which is in you, you constantly are seeking power over people to prove that you are powerful. So my method at that point is to just quiet down and move into the experience of myself as a soul who has chosen an incarnation as the optimum set of experiences through which to awaken. And at that moment, all of that stuff I'm feeling, the fear, the inadequacy, the need to da, da, all is like I've just picked up a murder mystery and I'm reading page 43. And then he felt nervous about his lecture. I think to the poor critter, and what I'm doing is I'm flipping back and forth between those planes. Because you can't use one plane to deny another plane, but you can use one plane to give you perspective about another plane. That's a very important distinction. Because a lot of people use the spiritual consciousness to deny the human their humanity. And every therapist worth their salt that are all meeting today. Smell a rat a mile away, in themselves and everyone else. And that's what happened in the spiritual things of the '60s. Some of it was pure and beautiful and true, and some of it was grabbing at something and pushing away something else. And I met the same people I would I'd meet it um, in India, eating uh, grass and. Uh, up in the mountains, in caves, then I'd meet him in a bar in Boulder a few years later. Ah, that's spiritual stuff, shit. Because the pendulum swing of grabbing stuff when you're not ready to be it and pushing away something, whatever you push away, it's going to get you, as Freud pointed out, and numerous others. It's going to get you. So that the method that I'm talking about when you shift reality planes just for a moment in terms of remembering, remembering, remembering that it isn't how you think it is, only, it's just moving from absolute to relative reality, is that getting through, is that making sense to you, do you feel that? When you stand nowhere. When you're moving in and out of planes, and at first you're doing this sequentially. You see you're sitting and you sit down and meditate and your knee hurts and you're a little tired and all that. And then the bell rings and then you start to follow your breath or whatever you're doing. And then pretty soon you can feel the plane of consciousness shift and all the stuff that was so important is no longer important. Just shifted planes of consciousness. And then after the meditation, you get up and you're sort of still out of your body and you kind of float out and you get your shoes and you start to walk down and then your mind starts to go again and pretty soon you're back in. And it all happened very subtly. You just went out into one plane and then came back to another. And it's all sequential. And you try to stay longer and longer in that plane and less and less in this until finally you go through the point we're going to keep making. That you realize that as long as you push away one to grab the other, you're off balance, you're still standing somewhere. So finally, what you do is you come back, you go out to come back in. So you're neither in either nor out. It's called being in the world but not of the world. And it's simultaneous or flickering so fast it experiences, you feel like it's simultaneous. Instead of these long sequential rounds, can you begin to hear the kind of bizarre statement I make that compassion is leaving people alone at times to suffer, and listening to hear exactly what it is that you are being called upon to do, rather than just blindlessly doing it, blindly doing it? As you go, as you acknowledge this other part of your, this intuitive, this, this non-conceptual part of your being. Now we, people, I know many of you are going left brain, right brain. I don't happen to think that's an adequate theory. Uh, to me, that's a reductionistic theory, so I'm not using it in this discussion. Those of you that will be comfortable using left brain, and right brain, go ahead, it's okay for you. It feels to me like it doesn't include the data because Emmanuel doesn't have either a right or a left brain and he's still around. So I have that problem. Hmm. But if you can notice that when you are on channel one, you look out at the world and there is a certain reality you see and you look, you shift to channel two and you look out and you see a different reality. Like if you're on channel two, if you're in psychotherapy, you're probably on channel two. You are very preoccupied with your psychodynamics and your needs and your fears and your hopes and your loves and your romance and your doubts and your jealousy and all that sort of thing. And when you're in therapy, everybody seems happy but you or, you know, depending on the stage you're at. Or everybody seems stuck but you. And each plane, when you flick to the plane, it gives you, in a way, the same... Stimuli, but they are reorganized into a different meaning. So, for example, you're walking down the street and you are feeling, you see somebody that arouses your prurient interests. And you feel arousal and excitement. And then, and somebody has been standing here and you haven't noticed them. And then that somebody pulls a gun. It's amazing how quick your sexual arousal leaves just like that. Chakra two was just superseded by chakra one. said, so let's get the hell out of here. Forget that. Get that later. Let's go now. <laughs> but sometimes you're busy with mastery and control and being effective and you look at somebody and they sexually excite you and you say, oh, the hell with that. I'm going there. The hell with my achievement. I'll achieve later. So that each of these, if you will, habitual lock-ins or planes or whatever you want to call them, each has its own reality to it. And so now, when you start to go into the quality of what, there are a lot of words, spacious awareness, it too has its own information, and it's incredible information because if you heard what I said about tatuam asi as as in the same way as neti neti, you not only can get there by going, not this, not this, not this, but you can also go there by saying, yes, this, and this, and this, and this. Which means you have extended your awareness to start to include everything. Now, you can do it as an intellectual exercise from a separate entity saying, yes, that water pitcher is in me, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can keep letting go of the boundaries and expanding outward. And when you are in that spaceless awareness, you are in a subjective relationship to everything in the universe, no longer an objective relationship. It's not going being mediated through your intellect. And you are part of the Gestalt, you are part of the harmony of the universe, you are in the Tao at that moment, in the way of things. And you are being given so much information, there is no way your linear analytic computer intellect could process that information. Because it isn't coming linearly, it's just an immense amount of information. It's, in fact, the lawful relation of everything in the universe to everything else. And out of that place in your being, that that wisdom, one of the words we use for it is intuitive understanding. My intuition. It's like I go into it. I think I'll go into it. Now, the Quakers call that intuition, the still small voice within, surrounded as it is all the time by the screaming trumpets of the stuff of life. Can you imagine that you as a receiver have access to all the information in the universe, right where you're sitting right now. But you are so busy mediating everything through your thinking mind that most of it you are pushing away in order to be able to keep a coherent view of the universe, in order to be able to know you know where you're at. Somebody that lives in their intuitive mind has no idea where they're at. If you say, who are you? I don't know who I am, but I'm going through customs, they give me a form. And it's fascinating. I ask, answer it fresh each time. It says, what is your profession? What's my profession? How would you describe what I do? I said, Well, I usually I write lecturer. No, I don't anymore because then they say, what do you lecture about? So you're just putting off the. But in actuality, I have no idea who I am. I can tell you who I was. People say, well, what's going to happen next? I have no idea. Aren't you worried? I don't seem to be. Aren't you confused? Sure, aren't I supposed to be? You mean you really don't know? No. Are you proud of that? Neither proud nor not proud don't know it's all of it here i mean what am i am i sad or am i happy is this the new age or is it the armageddon do you see do you see what i'm saying here that if you're going to embrace it all it means your actions come from from it all and intuitively It all has a certain harmony, which includes you. It includes your skills, your acts, your heart, your desires, your parents, your experience of falling under the wagon wheel when you were six. It includes all of it. It Includes all of it in all directions. And if you would listen intuitively, something would come out of you. Because as long as you're in form, you're going to be acting. There's no way you cannot act in form. Forms act. I'm not gonna act. What are you not gonna do? Well, I'm not gonna move. Okay, that's acting, sitting still. Now what are you gonna do? I'm not gonna do anything. I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, go. But I'm not doing anything. No, you're just going to the bathroom. I'm hungry. Don't do anything. No, I'm not planning to do anything. I'm just gonna go to the refrigerator. There's nothing in the refrigerator. I'm going to go out and get a job to earn money, to get food in the refrigerator. I'm not going to do anything. No, don't do anything. See, you could go back to doing nothing and end up doing just what you're doing now. (laughs) Can you feel the play of the mind? Can you just experience what I'm talking about? Can you hear what it says? She does nothing, and nothing is left undone. You see how that you could rest in all of it, and out of the harmony of things, for example, in the harmony of things, if I put my hand on a hot stove and it burns, I will pull it off. In the harmony of things, I have been in the experience where I look at you and I experience you not only as my sister and brother, but I have experienced, I know that there is a plane of reality where you are me. So if you put your hand on a hot stove, I get a reaction. Intuitively. In other words, your suffering is my suffering. In the intuitive plane, I'm connected to everything in the universe. Where are the, where are the boundaries? The boundaries are created by mind, by intellect. So as the one, all of our suffering, anybody's suffering is my suffering. And since I would, you would understand that I would put my finger off the hot stove, so I will do what I can to relieve suffering, because any damn fool would do it. What else am I going to do? And then I intuit what is the optimum way for me to relieve suffering. And I see, I intuit, that the optimum way for me to relieve suffering is to be in harmony with all things and to work on myself until I have extricated myself from the attachments of my own mind, until I am the eye of the dolphin.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org.